Hey. Hey. So, unfortunately, those fuses fall on back order, so I can't get one. Oh, my God. Well, yeah, jumping into the chaos of the day, I've been rushing to finish this job that I was talking about last week. The brass parts kind of stuck up on me as I was trying to get the mill figured out so I could run larger files. On Monday, I woke up and I was like, oh, dang, got to finish those parts. And I've been crunching on that. In the same time, we had our electrician install the Kaser, I think is how I've heard said it. it said. And that happened yesterday real quick. And I was like, all right, great. We'll call them, have them come start it up. They came this morning. <laughs> as far as I can tell, what happened was wires were touching and the breaker went on and it like... Oh. My lighting might look a little better today because I'm currently using a video light and extension oh. cords to power my office. Oh, shit. You're on <laughs> extension cords. Wow. Okay. Just a little stressful, but everything seems to be fine. Aside from the uh, waiting on the electrician to come. Yeah. Just just cool. somewhat humorous, I suppose, at the moment. Assuming it didn't fry the compressor. I don't think it did. Potentially, the fuse outside of our building where the power comes in may be messed up because one of the legs of the three-phase gets four volts right now. It's supposed to be at least 100-something. So, like, somehow my office is on that. Bulls. Wow. The bathroom doesn't work. Our fridge is turned off. It's like this weird series of things. So it's not gone excellent. Crazy. (laughs) It's been a mess. Where was the short circuit? At the termination. So, like, the wires were dangling out of the compressor, the three-phase, like, some high amperage, higher voltage, and apparently they were touching when he turned the breaker on accidentally. Oh. So, actually, they might not have been touching the compressor at all, which is great. Just somehow. I didn't know this was possible, but there's a... that It seems like the fuse outside took the brunt of it. I don't know if those are expensive, but I don't think I'll have to pay for it, which is nice. Fingers crossed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, power's... When power goes wrong, it really goes wrong. Yeah, I'm glad. This is exactly why I don't attempt to mess with the three-phase stuff myself. My panel is confusing. Do you have multi-phase stuff there like that? We're on three-phase, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. how's your week been? I don't think I should talk about my electrical history (laughs) on the podcast. Too damning. Much too damning. It's been a bit challenging. A couple of people away this week mm. with one isolating close contact and another one with symptoms and isolating just to be safe. One of those people is Johnny, our machinist, which means yours truly is on the machines <laughs> this week, which is <laughs> cool. Mm-hmm. Like, I love getting on the machines, but it's also really stressful because I'm just running behind on all the other things that I'm supposed to be doing. But that's okay. I just have to sort of stop long enough to appreciate it. Yeah. And go, no, I know that feeling exactly. I can really enjoy this, you know. If I, if I, yeah, if I stop and appreciate it, then it's great fun getting to run three machines and try and keep them ticking all day. But yeah. Do you feel rusty at all when that happens? Mm, I do a little bit. Same. It didn't take me too long to get back into it yesterday. Oh, this week, but uh, yeah, there's definitely rusty bits. Toolpaths, particularly. Got my Fusion template and, you know, making a new setup and I drop in. John and I keep separate, operate like toolpath templates. But John's is going to be way more up to date 
but it's very, you know, custom to him because mm. he's made made them. So I don't bother trying to use his template. I just pull in my old one and you know, there's a bit of an updating because he's made changes to the tool register and that sort of, it's definitely a bit of a changeover with like what, you know, John's got a new roughing and new finishing cutter and making sure that I'm employing those in my strategies and updating my templates and stuff like that. But once I'm sort of up and running, it's great. I that's, love it. That's one of the harder things I've found growing into this new machine as a 20 tool changer just mm. like double what we're used to, you know, for the router. And it's kind of obscured too with our router set up. It's just, they're all just sitting there. You know, you can go look at them, which one's in which spot. But the the mill, I think it's pretty common. It, it puts them away, seems arbitrary, but it puts them away into whatever's available inside. Oh, so there's really? numbers that are pockets, but you can look in the window and they mean nothing because that's not the tool number. Oh, so it and knows to, where the tool is, but yes, it doesn't match what you think it is necessarily i was told at one point you can match them but it Mm. the amount of stress to make that work was not worth it (laughs) basically like when i call a tool or you know the the cam g code does it on its own it always is right assuming you've loaded the tool in the right tool number just you know called that tool the challenge exactly what you're describing and i haven't mastered this we're we're working on tool tags that would need to be really accurate but when you change machinist, like when Andy was running it prior, it's not necessarily what's in Fusion anymore. So I go set up mm. Cam, and then I'm like, uh oh, I've got to go check every tool I'm going to use because they're just arbitrarily in this machine. <laughs> you know, I can't just look at it and say, oh, they're all right. Yeah, it's a bit of a ch- yeah. I don't love that right now. Yeah, I was doing a lot of sort of prototyping work yesterday, and so lots of tool changes, lots of tools that aren't necessarily in regular production or weren't in the machine already and i find i found myself wanting like you know a tool matrix or just like a really either a machine with heaps of tools so you can just keep everything in the machine and just draw on it as you need it or having way more tools outside the machine with manual tool numbers on them and you just like call tool 16 which is external to the tool changer and it just it asks for tool 16 and you manually put it in mm-hmm but yeah, we've started using tool tags a little bit. John rolled that out a few mm. months ago, made little plastic tool tags. And our system's still pretty basic, but at least on the newer, yeah, like that, exactly. On our newer machine, on Trinity, as she's called, because she's got knives. <laughs> she's got a rotary tool changer. And so you can't see what's in there. It's got mm-hmm. seven tools in this rotary carousel and you have to like, basically put M codes into the controller to pull up one tool at a time and go, oh, what's, oh, what, which tool is that? Oh, that one. Okay, cool. And then pull another M code yep. to pull up another tool. Same it's really slow. Yeah. Whereas our original multicam machine, you just like open the flap and just, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, cause your tool changes like up on the it's table. It's just like, you can out really there. See. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Which feels a little like, um, simple now after, you know, digging into more machines over time. And we've upgraded mm. ours because it used to have five, but now we're at tens. And you just physically added more spots. Did you have to teach the machine the new positions? Sorry, we have 12. I forgot. Yes. So we had five. I ordered five and you could upgrade to 10 with the, the basically the same setup. You just duplicate it. So we're going to have to move the five in the first place. Mm-hmm. It's a long story, but the machine we have doesn't have 
great dust collection stock, which I think is pretty common with a lot of routers. They're not, mm. you know, it's either been really considered or it's kind of a, mm, kind of works. And this just never has had a great, it's part of it's the way that the tool changes. And so there was this limitation in the way that the dust boot that goes around the spindle could come down and still tool change. Yeah. So part of that solution, which we haven't solved the dust collection aspect yet, but was to change the way that the tool posts stand so that the, it could go over top of it yep. with the dust boot. We deduced that a while back and wanted to add more tools. So we actually managed to get 12 spots instead of this, the manufacturer only allows 10 and made that as our first major project with the mill, which was fun. Yeah, I remember We, we used the mill to actually make those with the... The router cool. parts and so now the last part of that is we needed to redesign our dust boot and spindle dust collection and stuff like that so we can get better dust collection but yeah they're all just sitting out on top of the machine which really has never been a problem it's never really in the way the table's oversized for what you need to cut on so it works so when you added two more tools to your atc into the control and teach it those two new positions I had to teach every position, yeah. Re, and part of that, something. yeah. Part of that challenge really wasn't a challenge because all they're just basically text files when CNC controller space. So I just had to go like add T eleven, T twelve, T thirteen, and then that was in a few different spots. And then you kind of train the spots by literally just moving to them and then saying, yeah. "This is where this you should tool change at." <laughs> so it's pretty easy. You could put them wherever, which is kind of interesting. We talked about all these different ways to my dream version of this is a bicycle chain turret that spins <laughs> around in the back so that you could always change in the same spot but that thing would change around you'd have like 50 spots there's a little bit of overkill that'd be cool that'd be cool yeah I, I thought about this before we built the pencil sharpener and i was doing all the dowel threading on our flatbed cnc and i'd cut that big hole into the table to mount the chuck and i'd pulled one of the at ATC spots out to put a little slitting saw in to do the cutoff cycle. Mm. And then I was thinking, I was like, cool, can I just start cutting more holes in the table and mount like a another tool holder with a bigger saw blade on it, which doesn't fit in the ATC and teach the machine to come over here and pick up this saw blade. And, and I, our machine's a little bit locked up in terms of the control. So I had to sort of sweet talk one of the technicians at Multicam into sending me this like dump file with all the M codes for the machine in it and it looks like it's got the ability to train it into obviously it does because they have to do that when they build the machine but yeah but i would think it's probably possible i think it would be challenging in our setup would be no that's not you could totally do that what would be challenging is if you needed a different movement to dock Mm. different than all the other spots but you could tell we could tell it to go way high way low x y different spots because that's technically how the touch probe for z heights is like 13 then i think it goes and uses that spot as a save position where it does its touching so to measure um, the tool heights yeah yeah right which we had to move to that's interesting you brought that up i it's been on the list for a few times i think we should talk about the pencil sharpener (laughs) because it's one of the coolest machines i've seen in a while and a i want to know the backstory b i'll tell you it's basically how I came to know you was I think I got recommended your Instagram and it was you standing at your kitchen sink doing maybe your partner had filmed you 
and you were doing this mental process of what looked like probably holding your dowels and then trying to access different aspects. And I think you had longer hair at the time. And I was just like, I did. I think I read the caption. I was like, oh, I've done this so many times. <laughs> and I followed you at that point and didn't know that you were eventually building this crazy machine. But you you were doing your router version of it. I think you had figured out how mm. to thread through the table. I had very much connected to that same feeling of like, oh, I'll be on a hike sometimes. And I'm doing doing some mental cam. <laughs> Yeah, that was, that was mental cam trying to nut out the backside machining logic of these parts because they're double-ended and there's a female thread on one side and a male thread on the other end and I wanted to machine it all in one. So I was kind of, yeah, trying to nut out sort of the Swiss slave version of that logic of like <laughs> sub-spindle, main spindle, transfer. I look, pencil sharpener is probably a fairly long tail, but I can cover off a bit of it. Yeah. Basically, we started threading dowels on our flatbed router just with a really janky fixture that kind of hung out over the tool changer and i had to turn the machine limits off to get the machine out off the bed (laughs) far enough to be able to access these dowels in this like dodgy like jig that i'd made out of mdf but that kind of started there in like 2019 i think started mucking around with it basically inspired by saunders stuff and he's thread milling videos i was like oh i wonder if i can thread mill and you know bought a thread single point thread cutter and just worked it out and because it was around the same time that i was really getting into fusion as a cam package and fusion makes thread milling so easy like there's lots of little bits and pieces to work out but compared to what we were trying to do it in i think you mentioned vcarve last week we don't use vcarve but we've got enroute which is a very similar 2d cam package for sort of cabinet making, which would have never allowed us to thread mill. So yeah, moving through into fusion, that became an option. I was just exploratory thing that I was coming in early and mucking around with. And that led into what is now our flagship product, Kitter Parts, the threaded dowel modular shelving. That sold really well for about a year. And then a friend, two friends, both of whom employees, one of them, Tom, was watching what I was doing on the machines and then he jumped in Rhino one day and he like sketched up this multi-spindle machine. He was like, why don't you, you can get rid of all the tool changes if you had just had both tools accessible at all times and you move the work instead of moving the tool. And that kind of planted the seed of this, you know, maybe we could custom make a machine. And then another ex-employee, John, who has a little company called Laundromat Manufacturing, He went out on on his own about five years ago and started this little machining engineering business. We got John and Tom and myself in a room about 18 months ago and just hatched this plan to like make this multi-spindle machine. So that video you saw that Laura shot of me cooking dinner, trying (laughs) to like hatch out the logic. I think that was the night after we'd had that meeting and I was still like just had all these ideas about like tool access and how we're going to do it. And then, yeah, over the course of about six months, John basically designed and built this multi-spindle CNC machine that uses a Masso touch screen controller, which is a really cool system if anyone's building CNC machines. We've got this mental four-axis, five-spindle CNC machine that's dedicated to processing 35mm dowel, and it's dual... 
effectively it's sort of borrowing the logic of a Swiss lay, or not a Swiss, but like a dual spindle lathe of having opposing chucks and being able to part transfer between the two and machine in both the main spindle and if that makes sense. Yeah, I, it makes sense because I've seen it enough times. It's hard, it. it's hard to, to describe. It. I yeah, definitely yeah. think I, I did throw a photo in a previous chapter, but we'll put some photos of it too. It's mm. just check out like butter's instagram there's a lot of fantastic videos of this thing it's it's definitely some cnc porn to watch (laughs) yeah but it's been a pretty fantastic tool really programming it was a real challenge yeah that's that's another story i wanted to hear is it's basically custom right like you're just hand coding it pretty much hand coding so i'm doing the tool parts are coming out of fusion and basically everything else is copy and paste to get that program together, put in the M codes for, you know, starting and stopping the spindles, opening mm. and closing the chucks, and all the the positional stuff that happens between the actual machining operations is all hand-coded. So the risk of crashing is really high because you're hand-coding basically rapids with no simulation. Mm. Yeah, man. And <laughs> I've crashed you- it. So many oh. times. Do you single block so, it then when you first run something? I do single block it. Yeah. But it still moves. It's such a small compact machine and the rapids aren't crazy, but yeah. relative to its scale, the rapids are quite quick. And so you have to mash that e-stop so fast to stop it just slamming into itself. But there's so many points of contact. Like you've got two chucks that move independently, X, Y axis, a saw blade hanging off the front of it. There's just like so much that can go wrong. I remember when you first set it up. I mean, I get this totally and I would do the same. It was uh, first set up. I think it had been delivered and you're like, I got to run this. And there's just this five or six inch saw blade that does cutoffs just kind of hanging out there. And like you get to the safety aspects at some point and you keep your arms back for a while, but <laughs> it was it was a finger chopping machine, maybe arm chopping machine for a while. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, in in a sense it's still in that sort of R and D mode. Like it is running production parts and has been for the last year. I know we haven't had a year. Less than a year, but it's been yeah. running production parts for a while now. There's still like I still haven't commissioned the backside spindles. Like I've mm. barely used them. Once it's fully set up, it will be able to feed bar stock in, machine one end, cut it off, transfer it in the back of the part, and spit it out all in sort of hands-off mm-hmm. autonomous operation. But programming that is just something that I need, like a, just a day of quiet time to myself to just work out the sub-spindles and get that all dialed in and positioned and get the code worked out. So the problem you guys have going on is you blew a fuse in the main disconnect there. <laughs> but in order for me to pull it and go get one to fix it, I have to shut everything down. Sure. Okay. So. Okay. Nice. So they're working on the fuse currently. They think that's cool. the problem. So the, our entire building power is currently pulled out, I think, at the moment. Ooh. See how long that lasts. Is the building shared or just you guys? Yeah. Well, our neighbors are close, but they're separate, so... Okay. Anyway, I forget you're saying something about probably the sharpener, I think. Yeah, look, I think we kind of wrapped up the yeah. pencil sharpener backstory. Yeah. Yeah, the next step with it is commissioning those sub spindles on the backside and getting that cooking. But at the moment, it's smashing away. It's probably made, I don't know, 
600 parts in the last day and a half. Do you have to sit and watch for the end of the dowel or does it stop on its own? I've done a really agricultural solution. We've just got a T-bar that threads into the end of the dowel and because it's gravity fed, mm. the T-bar just hits a physical stop and won't load. Prior to that, we had a few situations where it fed, 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 fed until there was a tiny little bit of dowel hanging out of the chuck and that came to do its like cutoff sequence and this bit of dowel just went flying across the room yeah yeah i was gonna say uh, gotta put in some kind of weird sensor otherwise i bet i like the the t-bar that's that's a good solution mm, yeah otherwise it's you know sensor and an m code and the yeah yeah i like yeah. the i like the hacky solutions it's pretty great i can totally relate to the needing to solve products like core feature and making that otherwise it's probably dedicating a weird it, it was good to prototype with but your your flatbed router probably can be used differently and better and this is a much better use of a machine well maybe costly it it it's going to produce a lot for you especially now it's, it's automated in a certain sense that's right yeah like it, that chuck on the flatbed router was tying up the machine sort of four or five days a month just to make production parts until sharpener now does that in about a day whilst <laughs> while it's production schedule so yeah it was a bit of a game changer did you happen to look around at all to see if there was machines that could do this or was it just like we're gonna have to make a custom one i did look around i there's this spanish company and i'll have to look up the name of it but they make amazing five axis timber turning machines it's like a lathe with a five-axis spindle mounted above it. It's the incredible machines. I got it. I got a price of one of those. I think it was three hundred and fifty thousand euro. So that was out of budget, and I looked. <laughs> you can't uh, say. <laughs> I looked at like a Haas dual spindle lathe, mm. but I couldn't find any references to people running timber parts on them. And I remember Jay Pearson saying once like you, that you should never put timber through i think i had the opportunity to ask him once about running timber parts on a, a five axis Haas mill and he was just so disgusted by the thought but you know that was 250 you know quarter of a million dollars to get a dual axis slave like that and so it was all just such big money that doing a diy solution using makita trimmers it's spindles was just was a bit of a no-brainer at that point like yeah let's do this so I, I would assume without digging into the numbers, it's significantly less costly to make your own machine with a local partner like this than it yep. was any of those solutions. That's cool. Correct. Significantly less. Yeah. I love that thing. It's fun. You should just set up a live stream of it and just let people watch it because <laughs> everywhere you've posted about it, I've noticed it's definitely done really well. I saw TikTok, even it had some good numbers. I went nuts on TikTok. Yeah, yeah. that was funny. It needs some googly yeah. eyes, probably. It definitely needs googly eyes. All machines. Oh, yes. What are they going on? I think the Kaiser's getting some. It looks <laughs> too much. It looks too much like a little minion. And I just was, I was always just kind of sitting there waiting like that. Ah, it's got to get some eyes on it at some point. Maybe if it oh. works. Yeah, I'm sorry. Your fresh air is causing such trouble right now. I <laughs> would have never thought. I mean, honestly, I'm just kind of glad it wasn't me that did any of this because I Indeed. could have easily done that and I would feel way worse right now about it. Yep. 
place to get other people fixing stuff. I guess my other bit that's happened, mill bin card was working great. That kind of like extended memory thing. Yeah. I was running parts. I ran this fixture to cut my little brass poles. So it was a second op fixtures. As you would have a pull for a, like a drawer on a cabinet, it needs threaded in the backside of the pole so that you can actually mm-hmm. you know connect it to the drawer. So I use that to fixture so you can do the second op. So the whole thing is, except for one face, is that it goes against the drawer is completely like a 3D shape. I was like, how the cool. heck am I going to hold this thing? So it worked out perfectly. All of that I kind of had figured out to some degree. The memory card just corrupted at some point in the middle of all of this so luckily i could still transfer files like i had in the past and all the files fit on the controller just had to be careful about it went fantastically i would say i have a new it's a different feeling i've ever had before and similar like you're describing getting to run the machines like i hadn't really run it that much by myself only one other project and i was here late a couple nights last night when i got it to work to run some production beyond testing, beyond single blocking, beyond, you know, stopping every tool change. And I just let it mm. run. It was like one of the more satisfying feelings I've ever had of, <laughs> oh, I can breathe again. It's been like two days of trying to get to this point. Man, that's a good feeling. Yeah, I was going to, when you said you were running the mill, I was going to joke that you're running lights out already, but <laughs> that would be cruel to suggest that you're <laughs> at that point already. <laughs> Oh boy. Well, today could be lights out. <laughs> the boom. How are you putting the threads in those parts? He tapping by hand because oh. I was scared of that part. Andy had figured yeah. out how to do that on the machine previous. I already had Did enough you? new things to learn, which one other fun thing is I figured out how to both set up the cam and set up the offsets so I can have a G54 and a G55 on two vices nice. and I didn't have to trade them back and forth every time I wanted to run op one and op two. So that would, that felt like a huge win, but just enough. I mean, my other admission is I did crash it for my first time ever. Not super great. I got really lucky in that it crashed into aluminum and it was hanging off the vice. So it just pulled it out of the vice and cool. ground the nut and the collet. But that felt pretty terrible, and I definitely learned the lesson of not ignoring when the machine says, do you want, like a red text that said, like, do you want to restart in the middle of a program? And I was like, <laughs> yeah, why not? And every yeah. other, you know, like our shop saver is always like, it, it resolves its state for you and brings it up to Z max, and this does not. And, and I heard other people tell me that before and ignored it because it had worked a couple times, I think, and I got it just rapid plunged into the stock and then wasn't good. But luckily, I think everything's fine. It was cutting really great after that. I just good had my first scare. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that sinking feeling when you crash the machine. I mean, I've crashed the router a handful of different ways. It feels different. It's less dramatic. Maybe it's just less costly or something, but there's a lot of metal involved <laughs> inside a mill. It's way more metal, way more weight going in there. Yeah. Yeah. And it, I've crashed, it's got like crashed. 1G acceleration yeah. too. So, like, even slowed down, it's like I can't react fast enough. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I feel like crashing a timber is much lower stakes on our new machine on Trinity. So, we've got two machines, two flatbeds, 
Cameron and Infinity, so I'll oh. refer to them by their names from henceforth. We had <laughs> Trinity. Trinity took a while to come online last year after she was commissioned. We had all sorts of issues. Finally got it online and commissioned, and then we bumped the tool changer with the forklift because it's got this big rotary tool changer that sticks out the side. A oh. really light, light bump. And but it put the whole gantry out of square, mm. and the technicians couldn't get out to us in time. And we had, you know, it was up and running to the point that we had production stuff to run on it. And so I've always been scared of sort of pulling machines apart. You know, I was mm-hmm. happy to cut a hole in Cameron for the chuck, but in terms of actually mechanically fiddling, but like I've got friends with similar machines, and they, you know, take their spindle off and they re retune like the the, the, what's it called the tram of the yeah. spindle and change bearings themselves and stuff like that mm-hmm. i've never been super confident with those Same. sorts of changes to those machines anyway this time i just sort of bit the bullet and i went i took the covers off the gantry and basically loosened all the bolts that were holding trinity's gantry square and together and just loosened everything and then manually re-squared the machine so the gantry was like this sloppy like plasticine thing yeah <laughs> And tried to get it straight and bolted back up and did a whole lot of test cuts and then unbolted it and do another test cut and just trying to get it as square as possible. That was kind of nice to get to a point where I felt comfortable doing that. So I know the next time we need yeah. to re-square a machine. It's just a matter of undoing bolts and fiddling with it. And that's totally doable. That's interesting. One of the things that even when I was, I went to a show in Vegas to buy our router, which sounds crazy because I don't even go to Vegas really. <laughs> that was my first time was to buy a CNC router and I'm talking to all the different manufacturers and I was really impressed by Shop Sabers. A, they have lifetime tech support for the first buyer and then B, you can fix a lot of those things. I literally asked somebody, I was like, so what happens if you crash it? I I've had enough experience crashing, I think, in school, the router that I had that thought. And he's like, well, all you do is just unbolt the gantry and just bring it back to home. Basically, like writes itself. And I was like, no, Ooh. that's way too easy. And we've done that huh. a half dozen times because at some point the sensors and the servos, it starts to twist itself over time. Or if you do happen to, we've bumped it into weird stuff i actually rammed a piece of plywood into my garage wall when i had it at yeah. home through the gantry and into the gantry not through I had to do it then too and i've just been really impressed at how kind of resilient it is and, th- and maybe that's part of that same thought of how different the router is versus the mill of like if you did any of that with the the, the mill i think <laughs> i'd be calling somebody and it'd be very expensive but we've never had anybody come fix it it's always been something we've done we've replaced some bearings but i don't love cool. doing that stuff either i really it's one of the reasons i really wanted the tech support was like i don't want to also be tech support for a machine i want to be good at this one side of it and not also a mechanic it seemingly is a pretty common thing with a gantry based machine that you can kind mm. of write themselves in a certain sense that's cool does that mean there's homing sensors on both sides of the gantry and so when you loosen it off it can rehome itself at two points it always does every time you home it'll home both sides independently cool i don't i couldn't speak to like how the timing and all that works but sure. it's also bull screw so it doesn't jump on Ooh, like nice. a pinion or anything which is pretty ideal anyway it's been, oh, cool. been really reliable which is nice how long have you had that machine 
2017. Yeah, nice. My one continuous fear, which I'm sure every machine shop owner of some sort has this, is this is our only machine for quite a while. So I was just like, what if the spindle dies someday? You know, like, what if some major thing, and it was like all of our revenue at some point. I just saw there's a Facebook group for shop saver owners, and people are saying that the spindles usually last about seven years. And I was like, oh, we're getting way too close to that. <laughs> no, thank you. Is it a HSD spindle? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I crashed. I crashed Cameron really bad last year. I plunged a 50 mil facing cutter into aluminium like just hard z crashed with the spindle running and it stalled the spindle and i've always heard that like if you stall those hsd spindles it's like game over like the bearings are cool yeah and it was like it was a half second before i matched the e-stop but still it did definitely stall the boot like this was at like 2 a.m i was running this stupid job where the aluminium cycle time was going forever and it was like seven hours into the job and I just had to keep going. So I booted the machine back up again, reset the spindle inverter. It ran, but it made an ugly noise. I was like, oh, those bearings don't sound good. Uh-huh. Ran the job, fine. It cut. It was cutting fine. Called the technicians the next day and they were like, oh, yeah, fine. Happens all the time. Just run it until it dies. Could die next week. Could last another two years. Like there's no way of knowing without pulling it apart. And so I was like, cool. All right carry on so it is nice having a second flatbed machine for the now if you run it sort of over fifteen thousand rpm you hear like there's this high pitch like whine oh. just to remind remind me of that crash but it is nice having a second flatbed machine for that reason of just contingency no kidding one if one goes down got that back up <laughs> our second machine was technically a shipoko desktop router and oh, yeah we would joke often about, well, at least we have two spindles now, you know. <laughs> Can swap swap our jobs onto there if the one goes down. Not really reasonable. Your routers are multicam, right? Yeah, multicam. The, the Australian breed of multicams. I don't know what, if any, relationship there is to the American multicam machines, because I think there's a machines by the same name over there, but... Yeah, no, there is. They're at Texas, I think. Yeah, I think they're unrelated. These ones are built on the AXYZ platform, which is a Canadian. Oh, weird. It's like they bought the brights or something and then... Yeah, they use their controllers and Hmm. build the machines here, basically. Although Trinity is a Canadian machine, assembled here, obviously, but it's got the oscillating and tangential knives, so it's kind of this sort of... Oh, and a, and a camera on it. It's this weird sort of multi-purpose machine that we picked up secondhand. I was going to say, that's it's a very, pretty cool very machine. Low. Yeah, it had really low hours. We picked it up from a makerspace that was shutting down, and I would have never bought a machine with those knives on it, but it was definitely a bonus, and it's been awesome being able to make our own packaging and start to cut felt and foam and stuff like that. To be honest, yeah, when you did start talking about it, and I hadn't really asked you privately, but I was thinking like, man, you guys must be making a lot of packaging to make that machine (laughs) make sense because we've talked about how we wanted that kind of features. But I mean, we'd use it like three days a month, maybe. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that was just bonus. We really just wanted the second spindle primarily. Yeah, that'd be great. I've talked a lot about doing like a four by four size machine router. And have it dedicated to certain setups, you know, even to the point where it's like we we really rely on vacuum hold down on our current router. We've 
expanded into you know over time different ways to fixture mechanically because it's mm-hmm. ideal if you can and i could see that having a four by four that's just really dedicated to different unique setups that don't need full-size sheets and often that's like 3d machined prototypes for people which we do quite a bit of but there's really no reason to have this 48 by 96 table actually it's like 60 by 100 and you're just wow. traveling yeah. up and down it right a lot tool doing tool change and you don't really need all of it often so, you know space is always a constraint and I would also love to put like a fourth axis on that too someday. I don't know. That's that's kind of one dream machine that we don't necessarily need, but it would be kind of nice to be able to have that second spindle that has a totally different, for, for router sense anyway, totally different capability. Yeah, I thought about that too, but then I always get hung up on wanting like a big ATC. Mm. So you've kind of got this same level of machine, potentially quite expensive with, you know, at least eight tool pockets. Yep. And then just a smaller format bed. So it's like, oh, why not just get, like, if you've got the space, why not just get another machine? Like, I I would say your mill is more like in that category of like specialist work. I don't know if you could ever consider putting timber on it, but like you could get a (laughs) fourth. (laughs) I imagine you could get a fourth axis on there, right? Yeah. No, that's honestly, the bed is, I'm, I'm coming to it, as I always say, like naive. It feels really small. I think it's 20 six i don't know the millimeters 26 by 15 and the actual serviceable area is maybe two inches inside of that <laughs> even mm. yesterday trying to set up these parts i kept it in soft limits with like the mm. face mill going outside the zone and be like <laughs> ah, damn it i gotta move the part again i can totally see we've been talking a lot about i think it's just probably a proximity effect of you always see saunders's fixture plates everybody uses them on instagram they seem like an awesome thing and I just happened to start out with two six inch vices and I kind of hate them in a certain, you know, like they, they work, they hold parts really well, but they're also just, they feel inflexible. And I think that's probably blasphemy in the machining world. Like a vice is really versatile, but I think coming from routers and seeing those, the, the universality of a fixture plate and setting up however you want, I just am constantly like, if I could have run those parts yesterday that I was making that are nine inches long. If I would have run them the other direction on a fixture plate, I could have run like 10 at a time. But in this case, I could only do one because they'd hang off into the other vice. (laughs) I think about that all the time. Can you get the mill to machine its own fixture plate? Like when you get the confidence to thread mill or rigid tap? (laughs) Can't you just throw a slab of something on there and deck it and tap it? Yeah, I don't know why not. I I know very little about... I think I, I really lack the meteorology skills to really validate those things at this point and just tools and say, yeah that's a great idea we did look at buying a saunders machine works palette or a, not a palette but a, a fixture mm. plate at one point they quoted us one and we just decided to hold off until we really figured out how we we're actually going to use the machine and yeah totally we still may do that but yeah no that was the other discussion was can we make one with our basically full r&d process for what they're selling it for they have a they have a nice price for their product and it's it, all the time we would spend probably multiple weeks trying to figure it out yeah. and then making it and it's like i don't know no look i don't think it's worth it trying to diy it but um on cameron on our original flatbed we've got this funny little vacuum zone up the top which is kind of access to the standard sheet <laughs> so the machine's a little bit wider than a standard sheet we've got yeah, sort of same. 300 mil 12 inches of travel there and 
that's where I put the chuck, but it's also where I put, like, I just bolted a bit of 25 mil aluminium oh, down nice. there one day and I faced it and then I drilled it on the machine and then hand tapped a bunch of holes in it. It's just, just this little spot in the corner of the machine, which is flat relative to the machine because the machine has decked it. So it's not, you know, mm-hmm. the plate itself wouldn't be parallel to itself, but it's kind of parallel to the surface of the yeah, travel. Definitely. And it's a little spot where I can bolt, you know, put M8 bolts in there. And I've used it on timber jobs where I just want like a repeat small fixture for doing like a dovetail or something in the end of a small bit of solid timber. And it's a great little yeah fixture zone on the machine. Yeah, that's, I've definitely thought about using, we have that same excess space which which yeah. was great it was a selling point for me too of like we can technically cut a 60 inch sheet and the standard here is like 48 wide that was a pretty big selling point for me because it's like when it's tight it you just always feel like you need more space and that always seemed like a great place to like i've definitely thought about doing what you did with cutting through and putting some type of like lathe chuck in to be able to do end milling on like longer parts or you know putting a lathe not a lathe, but a fourth axis over there. But going back, you asked me about the mill and fourth axis. If we ever stumbled upon parts, products that were small enough that could be put on some type of tombstone, like a Pearson, or what he calls those things, pro something, that would be, that's that's like the dream for that machine to me is it just has such a small table area that effectively what quadruple your space by being able to turn a little indexing fourth axis kind of situation. sounds like a dream. They're amazing those things. That's a, I think that's what I love most about multi-axis work. It's not like I'm not actually interested in like five-axis contouring stuff, but my attraction to four and five-axis machines is just about that work holding, like that positional work of just being mm-hmm. able to go access this face and then flip it and get to this face. Yeah. Yeah, that really excites me. All those possibilities around those, I would love to get to a point where we can get a a five-axis timber <clears throat> oh, man. machine. There's a robot for sale currently in town that a friend sent me, like a Fanuc. I think it's like $1,200 right now. And I was just like, damn it, I ah, really want that, but I don't know what I'm going to do with it. But it's just like so appealing to be able to just... I, I know they take a lot of, you know, setup time and figuring out how to run them. So it's definitely not smart, but it's always been a... a one of those yeah. dream projects. Very appealing. There's a guy here in Melbourne, Twig and Bot. He's got a one of those big Kuka robot arms. Mm. And he's got a great... Oh, oh. Man, all the distractions today. All good. Yeah, this guy who's got a one of those big proper, I don't know, six or seven axis Kuka yeah. industrial arms. <laughs> and he's built a tool changer for it. So it can pick up an HSD spindle Oof. and do all this machining work. But then it, it picks up this enormous bandsaw attachment. <laughs> and so it can like do like timber slabs. It gets hold of trees, reclaimed, what's it called? You know, trees that have fallen over in the park. Yeah, yeah. Urban, puts it on this urban, sort of big, yeah. yeah, urban salvage or whatever and puts it on this big sliding bed and then this huge KUKA robot picks up the bandsaw and like decks it down. It does amazing work. It's really cool. I'll put the link in there. There's a great company here, kind of a friend. David has called Loop, and they do automation solutions for manufacturers. And I think they do a lot of other stuff than that. But they have a big, 
think Kuka is one of theirs. They also have ABB robots, but they just like have one in their office and they just do random stuff with it. Get, you know, partially for marketing. And they did take uh, somebody asked them if you could put a chainsaw on one. And so they made a video <laughs> of putting a chainsaw on the end and just like chopping logs with it in their office. There's a pretty good video of that too I can put in. Awesome. Yeah. I think that's one of those in my dream workshop for sure. Yeah. Right. They take up you, so much space, safe zones and all that though. Yeah. Or even just a cobot, like a UR10 or something that yes. I can wheel around the workshop and attach a welding torch to it or a, a sander to it the next day and just have all these little programs dialed in. I just wanted his little friend just <laughs> bringing it around the the shop with you, you know? Nice. How you going? Do you want to wrap, wrap up? Yeah, I think so. Probably makes sense. Yeah. Got enough things. Yeah. Seems like my, my shop side is just kind of slowly devolving into chaos. So probably should yeah. head back out there. Yeah. Go and deal with that. Yeah. What are you up to the rest of the day? Back on the machines this morning, just ignoring the quotes and I will try to enjoy it rather than let it be a stressful experience today. So we'll see how we go. That's, I'm glad you do the same thing because at some point I just can't handle making in the shop and the computer stuff. And I end up doing the same thing where I'm like, well, quotes will happen this week sometime. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, about the same. I need to ship these brass parts. Let's get those in the box. I'll, I'll definitely post some photos. They turned out super cool. Yeah. Glad we made them because they're, I mean, they're a great design. I'll put a link to a, a guy's Instagram if he wants to share them. And they're just really cool brass handles for. Hey. hey, so unfortunately, those fuses fall on back order, so I can't get one. Oh my god, I'm gonna go oh, no. to our shop. See yeah, if we have one. Okay, um, if we don't, we're gonna order it so we can get it first thing in the morning. So. Great, okay, thanks, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad there's potentially a solution think, to that, but yeah, I, I think you just got the audio for the end of the show or the start, <laughs> potentially. <yeah. laughs> Did you? Get- that was pretty good. Yeah, that's so great. Uh, yeah. But for, first, I think he's going to say, like, indefinitely. You know, everything know. else. Six months later, you might have power back. Because of a fuse. Cool. Yeah. Wow, good luck, man. I hope that gets resolved quickly. <laughs> yeah, for sure. All right. I'll catch you next week. Cool. Well, thanks, Justin. See ya. <laughs> See ya. Bye. <laughs> I can't see you anymore. It's like stop working mid show and I don't know what is going on. I legit like the last few days have just been pretty ridiculous. I didn't even get into like a pen exploded in my pocket yesterday. I dumped coolant on my foot. Oh, fusion on my middle computer room. The manufacturing workspace disappeared like in the middle oh, of trying wow. to set up these parts. And I just like, I don't think I'm supposed to do this anymore. Like <laughs> I don't know what's happening, but it's kind of continuing at this point. So, oh man. Hello, Justin here. If you've enjoyed the show and want to help us out, would you take 30 seconds to rate and review us? I mean, don't rate it. If you're going to do less than a five star rating, that's just rude. Anyway, you can do that by going to the link in this chapter or just search parts department on Apple podcasts. Thanks.